Hello and welcome to Sophist Symposium. We're your hosts. I'm Doug Daffin. I am Chris Bendeman. We are back once again. Yes. Uh, though at the time we're recording this, I haven't actually posted any of these podcasts yet. Yeah, that's why we're back. We're... <laughs> Don't uh, call it a comeback. Well, actually, we were never there, so it's not really a comeback, is it? That's right. So today we're here to talk to you about governance. But first, let's talk about drinks. Chris? All right, here we have a very simple uh, margarita. Here's how I like to do margaritas, though. No, no... Uh, slurpy shit i'm not into i'm not into a slushy margarita um i do mine on the rocks i do it very simple just tequila triple sec lime juice but here's what i do i throw in tabasco sauce and i was making these for my uh friends and fraternity brothers in undergrad always got really good reception out of them so to you i present this gift my my personal recipe for the margarita it's not very Cheers. different, but it's pretty good. That being said, we have Margarita. a positive jug of margarita here. Um, our two drinks consumed a half bottle of tequila, so we're rolling. All right, and for the rules for tonight, <laughs> we've got two of them. First is two rowers, um, and this is over the something Chris didn't actually know at the beginning of the podcast. Um, there's an analogy for U.S. Congress is that it's like a rowing ship, and each of the parties are trying to row to opposite sides of the shore. So one of the parties is rowing forwards, and one of the parties is rowing backwards, and the result is that America's stuck in a going around in a circle. I mean, I wonder how far that metaphor really goes, just because like sometimes someone gets to be the coxswain. Coxswain? Co Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh boy. Okay, why don't you read rule two? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay. Uh, I was just smiling for other reasons. <laughs> okay. Uh, our second rule is expert testimony. Um, expert is in quotations. We're not experts on anything. Um, we're, we're not experts on anything. Yeah, because we're not experts. We're no. sophists. <laughs> and the rule is that uh, when one of us brings up something that the other has never heard of, um, that person has to explain what it is. And the other person has to drink. Yeah, this is not quite FOMO, but it does happen almost every single show that one of us will bring up something. Usually analogies like two rowers, actually, and the other one will not know it. Speaking of, I am um, I should have probably drank, I guess, because I didn't know what two rowers meant. I had never heard that analogy before in all of my years of being a politico. So I'm going to drink again just for the sake of it. So, are there any other pre-show motions? <laughs> no, I I don't know. All I right. don't think so. Well, let's let's get started then. <laughs> um, so, Chris, I know we had a discussion earlier where we both uh, we both found out that we're big fans of sort of nation-building video games like Civilization. Oh uh, yeah, Europa Universalis. Oh, huge. Yeah, shout out Paradox Interactive, shout out Crusader Kings, uh, Europa Universalis, Victoria, Hearts of Iron. Dwarf Fortress. Uh, yeah, them, but... yeah, that's not the same studio, but no, shout out that, shout out um, just all that shit. I love it. 
Yeah, and for us, these are fantastic games. Um, for some people, they're a bit boring or dry because they're kind of sit back and relax simulators um, with decision making. Uh, one person on Reddit, I remember, um, made a satirical post. That's the word I was looking for, satire. Okay. I uh, made a satirical post on the Europa Universalis um, so on the that subreddit. Yeah, r slash EU4. Yes. Yeah. And it was, um, should I buy EU4 or should I buy a map and some LSD and take the <laughs> LSD and stare at the map? That's amazing. Oh my God, that's incredible. I mean, yeah. Everybody should go subscribe to r slash Paradox Plaza if uh, if you're into video if you're in the strategy games. On that subreddit, the sub the subs in the far right hand of the screen are referred to as map staring experts. So I love it. Yes, and what I'd like to bring up in those games is that in those games, the player has what I'd like to call perfect governance. That is to say, they have they have mandate. They have the power to do to control the nation many of those games yes there's some exceptions but yeah oh what are your exceptions well in crusader kings for example in which you play as an expert testimony all right here we go in crusader kings uh you play as a dynasty which means you play as one character at a time and you may have mandates or okay not mandates in the sense you're using. You may have ideas you want to implement, wars you want to declare, or things you want to change. But your vassals and your counselors might be like, no, fuck you, and then you can never get anything done. Uh, in another really great game called Democracy, I think it's on the third iteration now. Oh, here we go again. Um, the entire game is based on, I think, what you're going to start talking about, which is like, how much political capital do you have? What kind of votes can you expect? And at what point is the government just going to revolt against you from underneath your feet? Which happens to me because I always try to turn America into a communist nation. You try to make America great for the first time? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Eugene Debs. All right. Yeah. So specifically, I want to focus in on civilization because I think it's the most popular one. Yeah. um, For that matter, most people that I know have either played of it or at least heard of it. Um, for sure at least the people i talk to about video games so yeah. maybe it's self-filtering there no i think that almost everybody knows about but it. in civilization you have almost per- like you have perfect mandate over your country that is to say um you your your cities don't really revolt against you um you never get uh you never stop being the leader unless you actually lose the game um you never you you can always control uh what your city does there are expected outcomes um mm. not just expected but basically guaranteed outcomes like if you build um a lighthouse you get plus 1 food from ocean tiles right well what you mean is like your units aren't going to be like no when you tell yeah, them <laughs> exactly you you say put a you know let's build a lighthouse and no union strikes <laughs> um saying you're not gonna have a filibuster yeah you're not gonna have a filibuster um you're not gonna try to build a lighthouse a bill goes through congress and suddenly instead of a lighthouse you're building a dock because that was a <laughs> compromise like it's it's oh, all wow. 
up to you. And in a sense, it's sort of like a dictatorship. But even then, um, dictators have to rule, have to change their ruling um, because they they have to keep their mandate. Whereas for civ civilization, like the only way to lose your mandate is if you lose a war with another country and you absolutely lose your civilization from it. Well, at that point, you've more than lost your mandate. There's just nobody to carry out your mandate yeah. anymore. Uh, yeah, the AI has your mandate. Yeah. You're the other player if you're playing online. I mean, the way that I've always seen that is not that the game is trying to say that each of, that you're playing as any given leader, but rather your character is a stand-in for your civilization and you're just making you're just playing as your civilization. So whatever whatever governance system they have, whether absolute dictatorship or republic or direct democracy or whatever and including everything you just said eventually decisions get made and the decisions that get made are the math things that you do so like you kind of have to abstract out that there was a debate for several years and then they the lighthouse faction took it over and thus a lighthouse was built and that plus one apple started really flowing in <laughs> But yeah. So I guess what you what you're saying is that it's not really governance because you're playing as like the okay. Yeah, you're not playing as a, a governor of any sort. Right. You're playing as the civilization. Hence the name. Um as opposed to some other games where you're very literally playing not an omnipotent leadership, but like a very faulty, very limited leadership, as could be the case in Crusader Kings or Democracy or some other stuff. Yeah, uh, my favorite example of that is Dwarf Fortress. Okay, um, so here's now here's the fun part. I'm going to have to take a drink because I know of Dwarf Fortress and I've seen it played, but I do not understand its basic mechanics. Yeah, so Dwarf Fortress is it's an independent game. It's absolutely free on the internet. Um, and it's, it's one of those games that like very few people will like it, but the people who will like it will like it a ton. And, um, you know, for all this advertising we're giving, we should be making some money. Hey everybody. Yeah. Hey everybody. <laughs> this is We've the video game out. show. Yeah. Um, oh, we hella sold out. Yeah. We got, we got all this free swag. Anyways. Uh, we didn't, we, we're doing this for free, but and Dwarf Free Fortress. Free money. <laughs> yeah. Dwarf Fortress, like, the, the base game, um, there's not even graphics. It's played on an ASC... ASCII, AS, yeah. An ASCII yeah. board, yeah. Yeah, and what it is is basically, it's a bunch of letters um, representing things. So, like, there's, there's a bunch of lines um, for walls and stuff. There's, your dwarfs are big capital Ds. Your baby dwarfs are lowercase Ds. Nice. Um, and you play essentially as the foreman of the fortress. You don't have a specific character, but what you do is you make orders. And it's up to the dwarves to actually fill out those orders. Mm. But the dwarves aren't a very cooperative lot. That is, um, they like beer a lot. Uh, they like to get into fights. Uh, they They like to socialize in a party instead of pulling a lever to draw the drawbridge when an invasion's coming. Um, they they like to do everything but follow your orders, it seems. Okay. And I feel like 
uh, you you kind of get a on on these games you get a scale of mandate power um, that is like in Civ Five you have the ultimate mandate in Dwarf Fortress you have some level of mandate because they they still never kick you out um, you still give orders and eventually you know those orders get followed. Are you immortal? Uh, like you are, are your fortresses. You aren't actually a character in the game. Okay. Um, you're an abstraction. Yeah, you're an abstraction. You're, okay. You are whatever manager is currently in the game. Is that manager represented in the game? Like, is there a? Yeah, there's there's like a a couple. Um, you can you could designate someone as a manager, and it makes certain orders easier. Like instead of going to each workshop and say and building, like pressing a sequence of keys to build beds, um, you can go to the manager's thing and build say i want to construct 200 beds okay and then um he'll give that order out and then uh it'll automatically do it that way instead that makes sense okay but uh it's it's sort of a sliding scale for for this mandate because like you make the orders but when you make the orders it doesn't go through a congress still it doesn't you know you don't have this plan for what your mind's gonna look like or what your dining hall is gonna look like and then it has to go through and get quorum and get voted on and things like and ultimately changed in the process yeah it doesn't go through what we would recognize as a governance uh process right and or legislative process and i think this is where um games end and real life begins because i think that in real life uh governance is all about those changes that happen to each person's plan yeah yeah i mean at least in in systems that we're familiar with in the western version of governance no one person generally gets to just say you know do as i say here we go at least not for any length of time. And what would be a system that you don't think, or that you think would fit in with the sort of video game system? I mean, kind of like you said earlier, I guess no system exactly, because everybody, including absolute dictators, have to constantly be thinking about their power base and, you know, are they going to piss off the right amount of kernels that those kernels are going to find a new guy to put in the power and then you're out on your ass. Or even, you know, they say we need to build this building, but then someone else is like, someone else designs the plan and it goes through multiple right. iterations. Yeah, you, you very rarely literally decide what exactly is going to happen. But the, but the thing that I'm saying is more like, in those systems, I think it's not the same kind of legislative process that we would be used to. Right. Like, I hear you. There's still, yeah. like, you know, if you say build a lighthouse, it's not like it's going to come out the blueprint that you would have thought in your head. Wait, you mean there's no legislature and a dictatorship? I mean... Hang on, I need to take a drink for this one. Okay. I have no idea. <laughs> I may be wrong, actually. There might usually be... Yeah, no, there's probably... There's usually... Sometimes there's, like, phony legislatures. Yeah. I mean, there's usually, like, you can tell yeah. a really good dictatorship by the appearance of democracy. I think you can do that a lot of times. But, yeah. All right. So, um, let's see. Do you think someone would be able to design a game off of 
that style of legislation or governance. Um, because frankly, I don't think, well, I think someone could design a game, but I don't think anyone would want to play it. Um, well, let's think about what we would need. So at this level of artificial intelligence in games, I do not think, um, you know, Doug, I got to say, I'm really glad you brought this up. Literally sitting on my resume at the bottom of it in interests is Ludology, which is the critical study of... I got to actually drink for this one. If you didn't catch it, I drank sarcastically, which <laughs> meant, I, meant I put the drink to my lips, but I didn't actually drink earlier. Well, that's good. Yeah, that's that's sarcastic drinking, I would say. Ludology is the critical study of games. Not game theory, but literally games, especially video games, and their impact in place in society. So... I had no idea you were a Ludite. I... <laughs> That's good. I really like that. Um, so I think that artificial intelligence is not at the level yet where you could literally design a game where you could type out a plan and both people who are quote-unquote supporting it but want to add a bunch of pork barrel nonsense to it or, you know, people who absolutely oppose it and will go to the American people and say, do you see what he's trying to do? I just don't think we're sophisticated enough to do that. I do think that we could build a game where certain decisions and um, platform points. Let's imagine this game. You have to win an election. Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of really tough strategy. It takes going to the right places. It's t- it takes t- saying the right things in the right places. But then you have to go govern and you have to put your platform into practice. And at that point, depending on what options you clicked. Right, whatever whether it, you did to get elected. Exactly. So like, here's an example. So it's like a re-election simulator. It's, yeah. So that would be the ultimate goal is to get re-elected. To get re-elected. And you have to go through the process of... See, that would be very interesting. For example, in Victoria 2, there is an election system. And as the um, as the government, which basically is like whatever party you want to win, you are allowed to influence democratic elections by giving certain answers to certain questions in certain places. So, for example, if you, if you want the party that believes – okay, there are four um, economic trade – categories in the game that it you know narrows it down to there's um laissez-faire interventionism um i may be getting this wrong but no it's so okay hang on let me think about this for a second it's no yeah it's laissez-faire interventionism uh state capitalism and planned economy and it's basically a sliding scale from the least government intervention to the most government intervention. And if you click, for example, you know, give strong arguments for protectionism, or sorry, interventionism, protectionism is a trade policy, not a, a market policy, then the people will be, you know, 10% more in favor of uh, interventionism. And that will affect the way they vote. So if you had a system like that, that basically you said, okay, you're in Michigan and you're giving a, a talk to this crowd or whatever, and these radio and these news stations are here. What do you say? And you say like, we're going to reforge the American heartland by X, Y, and Z, whatever, right? We're going to build a wall. 
we're going to build a wall. But whatever, right? Yeah. Maybe you say that. And then you get elected, and then you get into office, and suddenly it's like, hey, you know, your constituents in this area really want you to follow through on this. What are you going to do about it? And you can try to propose a bill. But if you try to propose the bill, then inevitably somebody from the other party will take whatever button you clicked and say, is this the way the president really is going to follow through on? I mean, if you're if you're playing the game and you're Donald Trump, you're going to have to deal with Bernie Sanders out there talking shit every day. Right. Is that your Bernie Sanders impression? Uh, No, I I have a better Bernie Sanders impression. I just did like a generalized like someone's pissed off. But um, no, maybe later in the show. When I'm feeling a little bit more loose, I'll give you a Bernie Sanders impression. But that's the kind, that's a, a game we could build, I think. Well, we, I mean, someone, someone, yeah. someone could build that game. It just, you know, because if it's button clicks, then you right. can always plan for the interaction of different events, and you could have emergent yeah. gameplay coming from, you know, maybe, uh oh, like the Democrats uh, are actually really on board for this, but they're bastardizing this right. other thing. You can and even maybe make it a multiplayer game so that you have president, you have speaker of the house, you have speakers of the house, you have um, Senate leaders. That has the potential of being a lot more realistic and a lot more fun. Yeah. Um, sounds interesting. Uh, hopefully someone will steal our idea. And Dude, that was copies. an awesome idea. This is a really interesting and conversation. Really- um, <laughs> that would be nice. Cash money. Yeah. All rights reserved. So, what are what do you think are some things though that um aren't necessarily or in real? Do you think? Let me rephrase this question because that was a stumbling question. That's okay. That's how I talk. Right. Do you think there are things in real life that wouldn't be able to be modeled in a game? Now or ever? Ever. Uh, no. Why is that? Well, um, last week we talked about determinism. Okay. And I fundamentally think that if we can ever reach a level of sophistication to understand the processes that make things happen in the real world, we can program the same functions into a game. Okay. It's kind of like that game of life that we talked about last week. Yeah. Okay, so... Then let's go with now or in the near future. Okay. So here's something. Let me get your opinion on this. I don't know how much you play games. I play a lot of games. Mm -hmm. And I've long had this interesting race in my head that I just watch. And it's the race of what's going to come first. Lifelike, almost Turing test beating human... um, NPCs, uh, also known as non-playable characters, basically anyone you meet in a game that's not played by a real person, or photorealistic graphics. Like, truly, you cannot distinguish between a photograph or a real-life video and this uh, video in the game. So, I don't think either specifically are going to happen for two reasons. Number one, I don't think anyone wants photorealistic graphics in a game because I think graphics in a game are always going to be stylized to some extent. Um, you you get things like, say, Call of Duty, everything looks like gritty and brown um, and like muddy and dirty. Uh, you get some some games are specifically cartoonish, so not not counting those. But like, um, you get you get games that look specifically different like i don't think there's a specific i don't think there's a there might be a specific market for games that look lifelike but i think most 
good developers will try to make their game look unique. And, like, if everything looks photorealistic, then there's no distinction. So you, if... Like, you know how if you're seeing, watching someone play a game on a screen, you can tell what game it is kind of just by the colors and the graphics? That, and also I have a disgusting knowledge of the content of the game to the point where I could probably guess pretty accurately. Right. And then, as for Turing Test AI, AIs, I don't think that's a um, priority either, because I think that if a game really wants that, they'll have multiplayer. And if... Otherwise, they don't. You know, they don't want the player to be playing against AIs. They or um, human-like AIs. They want the player to be playing against uh, AIs so that they could make the game the proper level of difficulty curve. So they're not going to be specific Turing tested. So I think this is the first time we're going to have our first significant dif- disagreement. Oh, I forgot that was a rule. Well, I, I have right. them. It's more legible over here to me than it is to yeah, you. Here's to us. Yeah, here's to us. Okay, so the reason I'm calling this substantial is that I have uh, major disagreements with both parts of your answer. So let's talk about photorealism for a second. Um, a little game came back in 2008 called Crisis. Okay. Um, Crisis was made by a studio called Crytek. And while the game was a pretty decent open world, semi-open world, military stealth shooter thing, its main draw was how damn good the graphics were, that the particle effects were so realistic, that the, the, the everything looked so real. If you look back on it now, it's easy to see that it's not that real looking. But I do think that generation on generation, there is a major marketplace, at least as a shock value first coming onto the market right. thing, of this game looks like reality. Now, let me tell you why that's important. I... And and here's the thing. So the grittiness argument, the like, you know, Call of Duty and Battlefield and everything else, they all look so gritty. For a long time, that was seen as a stand-in for realistic. Um, as game developers moved away from the bright spectrum of colors and moved towards browns and dark greens and shitty yellows, um, and I mean that literally, yeah. um, it was a move towards what was seen as – basically the, the logic was if we deliver to our gamer something that looks – a lot more dystopian and a lot more shitty and a lot more dark and gritty, they will say, this seems less like a video game. And then the part C to like the syllogism basically says, ergo more like real life. Now we're starting to move away from that. And I do agree with you that most game developers in any given generation of graphic design technology is incentivized to be unique, is incentivized to be different, is incentivized to find something that's their, their calling card, their signature design element yeah but if you delivered into the market something that was photorealistic there are some mods and have long been mods for gta uh grand theft auto 5 that look super realistic and the reason that's important to gamers is creating a simulation or something close to it or creating a game in which you can do whatever you want is a lot more satisfying when it you literally can't distinguish it from reality so if you like want to go out and like do some silly nonsense, drive too fast or like hijack a plane or whatever, and the game looks like real life, I think that's a huge advantage point to some a large part of the market and would be upon first relief release. Okay, second. Turing test. RPGs. Gamers are desperate for storylines and characters that they really feel an attachment to. Not just real people, but a 
carefully designed, crafted, and um, what's the word I'm looking for? I think it starts with a C. You, okay. When you, um, oh boy. I'm going to I'm going to take a drink for this one just out out of a sense of of shame. But it's like when you custom make What am I looking for here? You custom make something. You you um oh, I'll think of it in a second. I'm going to hate myself. But they're looking for that experience that's tailor-made to give them something that's a really compelling story. Imagine if the romance option, for example, or like the romantic, uh, the 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 love affair character in a game was so realistic that you just like it's very important in an RPG for the character to for the player to actually fall in love with the person that their their character is supposed to fall in love with. It's a massive motivator for them to keep playing the game. It's a lot easier to do that if it's hard to distinguish their reactions from a real person's reactions. And I think there's a value to doing that outside of just trying to find people that you like like online. Because RPGs are not, not meant to be exactly real life. They're supposed to be better, right? So I'm going to continue our disagreement here. Okay. Although this isn't about governance anymore, but this is a fun conversation. I mean, we're in it now. I'm, so yeah, we're in it. Um, this is fun. So... As far as graphics, I think we actually, and since we're continuing the disagreement, yeah, let's let's get another drink in there. I found I remember the word. What was curated? It? Curated. You're looking for That's a cure. A good word. It's a great word. You're looking for a curated experience. Okay, so then starting with graphics, um, and speaking of curation, then uh, if you go to an art museum, um. Like, how much photography do you see? Some. Not much. And how much non-photorealistic art do you see? That's true. Like, is, isn't the majority non-photorealistic art? But if we didn't have cameras, I think that the hyper-realistic artists would still be venerated. So, like... I, absolutely. I think... Like, I, I don't think people will look down on hyper-realistic graphics. What I think will happen is that we'll have graphics that are like hyper-realistic graphics, but then stylized afterwards. Sure. I agree. After the first generation of right. these games literally right. look like after, reality. After people show that it's capable, everyone's going to take, take the uh, photorealistic graphic engine and put their own touches on it to make it their own. Totally um, agree. To make it art instead of simply... A video camera. I hundred percent agree with you. Right. Absolutely. Okay. As for um, AI, I, I do. I, I am interested in your point about um, about making realistic characters. But again, I think that people who go into RPGs rather than realistic characters, I think they prefer likable characters. And that isn't to say okay. that. Um, you know, real people aren't likable. I'm not that uh, antisocial mis mis misanthrope. Mis yeah, misanthropic. Misanthropic. Yeah, I'm not that misanthropic because I do I do really like people, but I think when uh, again I'm gonna go to books for this uh, okay. instead of paintings. But when when you read books, um, characters, 
you know, good writers will make a character lifelike and then add their own touches to it. Right. Um, and I think that people would do the same thing with good writing in an RPG. Uh, okay, I don't disagree with However, that. However, for, uh, for Turing, Turing testing, I think what they try to do is have an AI where they program a personality and then have it a reactive instead of a scripted uh, personality. And I think you'd get to a situation where like a, a very advanced AI would, you know, their, their personality might not be completely realistic, but they'd still react to what you do instead of having a script. You're right. I, I'm using the Turing test in a really abstract way, and I should have done better about that. What I mean is like characters who react and inter- characters who don't react to you, but rather interact with you in a way right. that's so, so perceptive and so utterly understanding, so human. Because here's the thing. I might go further than you would go. I think in an RPG context, fake characters are better than real characters, more likable, because the real world people are often motivated by things that you wish they weren't or who you think act erratically or whatever. You can curate down personalities in an RPG setting to create a really compelling storyline. But what I'm saying is like RPGs are long made fun of, and I think rightfully – and I think it's it's actually kind of fun because characters are so slave to their scripting that you can just do some really dumb shit yeah. around them and to them. Like, and this is something that's called in the industry ludonarrative dissonance, uh-huh. which is basically when the gameplay and the storyline have this hard cognitive break where like, okay, for example, on the one hand, your character is supposed to be like an everyman, doesn't understand what's going on. And yet within five minutes of the game starting, you're picking up an Uzi and spraying like cops on a sidewalk. That doesn't make any – that's ludonarrative dissonance, okay. right? So in the same sense, RPGs struggle with the fact that like you'll talk to a character and you'll have like this really like important conversation. And your character's all like, oh man, like you know, whatever, like deeply you know, emotional connection, quote unquote moment. And then the interaction or the, con- the cutscene ends and the player will just like – shotgun the guy and he's dead and you're like well i guess that's yeah. always a, um, like there's a there's a game i've been playing lately uh guild wars 2 where like okay. they have a they have a story moment and maybe something sad happens right and then this box comes up and it's here's your rewards for completing the story mission and you click it and your character shouts nice loot <laughs> like right after all that sad shit happened and to me that's always like god damn it that is that is Picture perfect ludonarrative dissonance. Um, and I, yeah, I'm glad you brought up that example because I, I wouldn't have been able to think of a really good specific one. But like, imagine if instead of that, if you like had a character who you knew was like, okay, you know, one cutscene, they're like, listen, I really need your help and I'll be waiting for you outside the limits of my, my most favorite recent RPG is The Witcher. Okay. So let's say, you know, I'm waiting for you outside yeah, I'm of... I'm going to hang on. This is a substantial disagreement. I hate that game. Oh, okay. I, I adore it. It's it's my favorite game of all time, actually. Yeah. But continue. Yeah. Um, and I didn't think I was going to like it because a lot of my favorite um, game um, reviewers didn't enjoy it and got stuck with it. But I just fell in love with it really hard. Uh, I fell in love with the storyline and its world and its... um. Characters, and I can completely respect any disagreement on that. But imagine if, like, 
you know, someone's like, listen, I'll wait, I, I will see you, you know, I really need your help and I'll be waiting outside the walls of Novigrad. And you're like, cool, I'm going to get some monster nests or whatever. And like, you know, a week later in game time, you show up, right? Imagine if, because RPG rules say they'll be waiting there the entire time. They'll right. never move. And when you, you get there, yeah. And if you get, when you finally get there, they're like, ah, oh, excellent. Here's what we need to do. As if it's literally the next night. Imagine if instead, if you wait too long, you know that they're going to react the way a person would to your tardiness. Well, one thing I did notice from my limited playthrough of The Witcher is that that did happen uh, in an instance. There is this um, there's this quest in the beginning. It was an optional side quest where um, you had to, like, a girl was poisoned and you could either cure her with, like, your special <gasps> oh, Witcher potion. Oh, yeah. Or you can leave her to die. I remember and that. And I'm like, oh, this is just a side quest. I'll get back to it when I figure out how the hell these potions work. Right. And then I completed the main quest, and then another message popped up. You know, the girl died from your indecisiveness. You didn't even choose to let her die naturally. You yeah. just were indecisive. That that happens rarely, but sometimes in that game. They That game is one of the least patient with you, I would say. And still, it has the, uh, like the wait outside of grab problem. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. Um, that I will tell you that that particular side thing is one of my least favorite in the game because that's the one that taught me never to trust that the game would let me go back and do anything and to always complete literally everything I could before doing the next main quest because the game might just say, go fuck yourself. You don't get to do these things. Yeah. That was one of the things that frustrated me the most about the game. But it's not unrealistic. Yeah, the thing that frustrated me the most about the game is that they never use pronouns. And that really bothered me. Really? Uh, in the dialogue, yeah. I never noticed that. Like... Like, literally everything was Siri this, Siri that. Like, is that what yeah. you're saying? Okay. Or not not just that, but also, like, the they'll start sentences midway through the sentence. Uh, sentence well, Geralt like loves doing that. Yeah. That's just his and character like, trait. Right, and that just really, really started to bother me. Because I'm like... I just really didn't like the way he spoke. And if since I see. the game was so driven by the narrative, it just annoyed the hell out of me to the point where I didn't want to play it. I completely respect that. I mean, my problem is like with shows, I will not watch a show if there's not at least one main character that I really enjoy. Like if there's nobody that I even like, I'm not going to watch the show, even if it is a objectively quality show. So I completely respect that. And I know that a lot of people have problem with Geralt and his like gruff, like unfeeling like mm, must be this like he's just grunting all yeah, the time like saying you know must be instead of you know it must be no i totally know like what you that. mean every time he shows Sorry, up it wasn't on the pronouns it was articles he doesn't use articles. yeah he doesn't no you're completely right he'll show up on a scene and see some tracks and he'll be like must have come through here and it's like do you mean the caravan do you mean the monster do you mean yeah. you like what are you saying right now yeah yeah no he loves doing that and apparently he even loves doing that in the books so I've even started to read the books. I'm really like hardcore obsessed with it now. I mean, props to them to coming up with a unique speech pattern, but I just didn't like it. No, I can respect that. I don't think anybody should like games that I like just because I like them, but I do. I will fight for them for people who haven't tried them. So I respect right. that you so might not like it. Back to AI's Turing test. Sure. Let's RPGs. go back to let's go back to uh, governance if we possibly can. Although this conversation has been amazing so far. Um, I I do want to hear like your finishing thoughts because that was a Turing uh, test. That was a very much a side quest. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a really good side quest. I would say one of these games where the side quest is maybe as good as the main plot. Um, I think that 
I think that developers will be motivated to create very realistic characters. But again, just like with the like your argument, which I think is ultimately correct, that once you achieve photorealism, it's immediately boring. The same thing would happen with ultra realistic characters, which is as soon as gamers are like, wow, they're like sentient, then they're going to be like, but wait, I'm surrounded by sentient people all the time. And a lot of them kind of suck. I'm interested. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm yeah. interested in a curated experience. And right. if you can I'm give me in, in, in an escape from reality. Right. And if you can deliver me like, you know, ultimately you need Yennefer or. Um, uh... Okay, this is me. great. Yeah. And here's We're what's missing our expert witness. Here's what's fucked up, right? I never choose Yennefer. I always choose the other one, and I literally can't remember her name. This is fucking sad. Oh. That really tells you something about me. Boy, I hope my girlfriend doesn't listen to this podcast. What's your girlfriend's name? Viola. You Hercules. Remember, you remembered the important name. Yeah. I probably shouldn't have just said her full name on the podcast. You didn't did you? I actually did. Oh shit. Oh well. Alright. So, well shit. Yeah. Um so you know, whatever. Um yeah, I guess at the end of the day, I ultimately agree with you, actually, because all I wanted to say was I think that we will drive absolutely to the very point where we get it. And as soon as we get it, we will collectively decide that it's boring and pull back a little. We will tool back just a little bit and we'll get like, okay, Jennifer is super realistic, but she's not going to treat you the way that every normal girl would because then why play the game? All right. Yeah. Okay. Agreed. All right, back to governance. Back to governance. Boy, um, that was fun. Yeah. Fuck so yeah, dude. Video game let's, compact. Let's move, let's move completely to um, reality here. Fuck. Okay. And, and descriptions of reality. Um, I did like the, the video game description of reality because it's, it's a description sort of that people have in their minds, or some people do, who are like, oh, you know, I'd be a good president because I'm really good at Civ Five. <laughs> you know there's got to be someone holy shit i that. think it might actually preclude you from the job because your your yeah. priorities will probably be like i must <laughs> i must move my armies and turn them into transports at the coast <laughs> that's not how it oh, works Lord. <laughs> yeah or anyways um, okay sorry yeah so it's but it's sort of like the classic theory of how governance like I ideally is you have a leader and he leads um or she leads for that matter for that matter yeah yeah um but your leader leads and uh or your leaders lead and uh you know the country goes where the leaders decide on the other hand um we have a proposition here called the garbage can model of organizational choice. All right, let me take a long drink for that one. The completely that is completely the opposite. And for the garbage can theory, um, it was it was proposed that for certain organizations, an organization is a collection of choices looking for problems, issues and feelings looking for decision situations in which they might be aired. Solutions looking for issues to which they might be the answer, and decision makers looking for work. Uh, the creator of this garbage can theory, um, creators, I believe, it was Cohen, March, and Olson, uh, they were kind of writing it tongue-in-cheek, complaining about the, the, um, 
what are the grant board um the the board that decided who got funding for their research I okay believe. yeah if if i recall the story correctly um and it, it was exactly. sort of a criticism of that but one of my professors um taught the who taught us this theory uh said that in his mind it applied to uh congress I mean, all governance, I mean, if we're talking about a high enough theory of governance, it, it applies to all governance, whether national, corporate, organizational, household. Yeah. Well, what I'd like to say about the policy is it's kind of an anti-governance policy in a sense. So let's let's go back through actually and review it to get the full impact because... I kind of just said like a series of phrases. Right. Well, I'm. I, you. We should because I feel like I. I could think of an individual example and a, and a, right. I felt really um, that everyone was very true. Yeah. So let's go. Let's go through these in reverse order. First, totally. Um, decision makers looking for work. Absolutely. So no one who campaigns for re-election campaigns on I didn't do anything, or we should do nothing. Right, or we should do nothing. Yeah. yeah, I didn't do anything, and I'm not going to do anything for my for my next. Inaction is the best action, yeah. and the the you know we're going to govern as Although little as I've possible. I've had a theory about running for a political I know. party like yeah. that. Yeah, I, I we've talked about this before, yeah. and I immediately the, uh, thought about that. Yeah, what the do nothing party or yeah, whatever. Yeah, the do nothing party. Yeah, and I remember I joked with you like, oh, no, the that... contrarian party. That's right, the contrarian party. Yeah, although just... that was just vote no on everything. Right. Which effectively makes the government do nothing. But. Essentially. But yeah, you're just basically saying like, you're the ultimate conservative. Yeah. You're saying because, just... And conservative being keep the nation where it exactly. is right now. Don't, don't make any alterations. Yeah. Vote no on everything. Yeah. Now, presumably you might have to vote. Right. This was, this was a joke, by the way. No, I know it was time. a joke. But it is a good point right. because it's like, you know, and this is the thing, right? And it's something that I always tell people. And whenever I tell them... I notice that almost across the board, it's the kind of concept that they understand the truth of, but they've never really heard before. And I'll, I'll give it to you. I may have said this to you before, which is basically leaders of organizations will never get to the head of the position that they're at by advocating inaction. Right. So like the head of the NSA did not get to the head of NSA by consistently saying it's probably unnecessary for us to take extreme steps. Same with the CIA, same with any organization you can think of. Now, those two are government organizations. Right. But again, no CEO gets to be CEO by saying, you know what? Our business strategy is fine just the way it is. And I can tell you like, okay, on the journal that I applied for leadership in, I can tell you that one of the boxes was tell us about your vision for the journal and what you would change. I think that it would be an objectively stupid answer to put in terms of if I wanted to get the job. It would be an objectively stupid answer to write, I don't think anything needs to change. It's great the way it is. And yet, shouldn't that be a valid option? Right. So that's the decision makers looking for work. Yep. Um, solutions looking for issues to which they might be the answer. Uh, that is, normally in a decision making process, you see an issue. And then you, after looking through the issue, considering it. Uh, you come up, you tailor make a solution for the issue. Um, in this, in this, uh, it's it's the other way around, where solutions are looking for issues for which they might be the answer. People have pre-made uh, solutions, sort of that they that they want to get 
through Congress that, um, and they're just waiting for the issue to arise for them to pass it. Sure. I mean, what's funny is that I keep thinking about these things in the terms of like a, a business, but right. works everywhere. I mean, yeah. No, it does. And, and so let's use your example. So you might get put in the office with this idea of like, we're going to, like, if you run in the, you run for office and you just keep saying the way to solve all our problems is to increase our use of X. Right. When you get in the office, you're going to find an issue to quote unquote solve with that. Yeah. Or let's say you have really heavy um, ties into a construction union, then you're looking for a, or let's say a teacher's union to make it more political. Sure. Um, You'd be looking for situations in which you can advocate, you know, better wages to teachers, things like that. And then you're waiting for an issue to come up where you could say, oh, well, this needs to be the solution. We need to make more teaching jobs. Yeah, I remember there was this um are you familiar with Clickhole? Mm, yes. Okay, perfect. Yeah, it's a satire. Um site. one of their little click ventures mm-hmm. is like you're a congressperson, get a bill passed. And inevitably like the one you have to choose to continue is get a bridge built in your local community. Mm-hmm. And the way it's worded is like, well, by god, you're going to get a bridge built. And it's like, I guess you could technically solve an infrastructure problem with your bridge. But that's what you're talking about. Right, yeah. Like, it's basically like the guy comes in the office or gal comes in the office or whoever comes in the office saying, we're going to build a bridge. And you're just waiting for the opportunity to write some preamble nonsense like such that the infrastructure of the towns of, you know, Pickleby and Appleton will be better served. There shall be a bridge built. Right. And... um. The next one is issues and feelings looking for decision situations in which they might be aired. That's a fun one. That's a really heavy one. Yeah. So for me, I guess the one I'm going to explain because this is personal, but when I was in undergrad, I was on the exec, I was the president actually my senior year of the uh, acting group on campus. It was not nice. Uh, It was, uh, it was nice. We all not. It was like 90% nice and 10% um, struggle. Were y'all not the thespians? We were the stagers society. Oh, okay. So um, one of the things I noticed is one time I called a meeting and we didn't have quorum and I should have stopped it right there because we only had three members um, there, two out of a seven member executive board. And it was the two members that I knew directly opposed me. And I should have, and I should have, just stopped right there. Um, but we just, I decided to have a discussion. And the discussion was over if we should have two plays in the fall or one. And I was arguing for two plays in the fall um, because I felt that uh, we, we had a new space and it was smaller. And we could only really fit a play with a maximum of 10 actors. And there were maybe 15 people um, in our last show or 15 people that we knew were interested in uh, being in shows. And I was like, well, we, you know, we should come up with a show that increase, you know, that allows all these people um, in here. Sure. You're trying to, right. So that's, that's you would you did what I would have done. Yeah. So um, what it, what it aired in or what became the issue and feeling looking for decision situations in which they were aired um, 
the opposing the person leading the opposition against me um i'm not going to say that person's name yeah don't subject but, a, don't uh, subject them what I, to what was, i just subjected my yeah, girlfriend right, to was a director um was a student director and that student director wanted a quality show and to have a quality show that student director needed um needed the best actors in that show but if we were to have multiple shows then the best actors would be split up um that is to say like our group we were we were a hobbyist group in my sure. opinion and i when i said that during the meeting woo buddy uh they did not like being called hobbyists well you should have reminded them that y'all were not in fact the thespian right we weren't making money no we're literally doing this as a hobby but even like not making money like thespian organizations have been known to get into it but y'all are i mean anyone who's getting too serious about theater in high school really needs to take this was undergrad okay my apologies i missed that one entirely yeah sorry about that I was thinking ever since you said it, like, okay, did he say undergrad or high school? And then for some reason, I just assumed high school over time because people were being so petty. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Honestly, that, yeah, that's so what I said. Was... It was like, okay, well, they're petty, so no. Right. So this was undergrad. And um, my my issue was that it came down to, like, quality shouldn't override the ultimate goal for the organization, which I thought the ultimate value of the organization wasn't the shows we made, because honestly, the people who show up to the shows are neighbors, friends, and fraternity uh, brothers and sorority sisters. Yeah. Like they're people you kind of that have to show up. They're there. coming and having fun either way. Right. They're they're coming and having fun either way because their fraternity brother, sorority sister shows up. On they know you personally. Year. Yeah. Yeah. They cheer and shout your name when you appear. They have cards and they say sexual things to you on the stage. Well, that didn't happen. Oh, did that just happen in high school? Uh, I wasn't in theater in high school. So okay, that's what happened in high school. Yeah. So I also went to a really weird school. <laughs> um, so, like, I thought the ultimate value for the show was that it gave people who, were, who wanted to act a, um, a venue to do so. And to promote that, I thought having multiple, like, two shows, multiple actors um, would work better. And the opposing director um, argued fiercely because the opposing director wanted a quality show because no one liked being in a show that was bad, um, which I I understand where that comes from. But I also disagree because my first show was the absolute worst um, Sweeney Todd <laughs> I've seen. Uh, and like, I still had a good time out of it. No, but I agree with you. I mean... Okay, maybe like the high fluting whatever people who think they're so they're so hot are not having fun in a bad show, but everyone else is having fun in a bad right. show. Yeah, if you're not having fun in a bad show, maybe acting's not for you. Yeah. So, to oh. what happened there was that we both had these contrary feelings and and issues with, um, like completely different philosophies with which to approach the meeting, and. We did not have a good meeting. No. Uh, we wound up in a fight. Yeah. Um I I actually I think I insulted one of the other like throw said a straight insult, not intentionally, but it was I said a phrase to not the director, but um the director's friend. 
I said a phrase who was at the meeting, right? Right. Saying that you know we we shouldn't be these jackasses who are like only quality focused, and um, that person took it as me calling him directly a jackass, um, and which isn't wrong, but it's also not really. Yeah, it's the thing is I'm from Texas and yeah. he's from New York. Oh, yeah, and in Texas. That phrase is very light in yeah. New York. It's heavy. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I had, I had no Huge difference. Yeah, and like that's that's just one of those cultural differences. It is a cultural difference. Yeah. So we can get into that cultural thing. I I almost feel like motivated to talk on that, but but I mean, here's the thing, right? Because let's get to the heart of what you're saying. Yeah. What happened in that meeting? I guess is that those people came to you. And the the content of that discussion was not merely here are our thoughts on this particular matter, right. but rather our general problems that we haven't had sufficient opportunity to air at you, right? And just ad infinitum, yeah. Like well, I've got you know not only fuck you for this, but fuck you for everything else, right? Yeah. And ultimately, what happened? And here's my version of the events. Um, if you ask the director, uh, there would be a different version. Well, of the I'm event. not going to ask her. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So um ultimately what happened was we got two shows, um two different directors. All right. Uh and that was another thing I always felt was that um we needed like she wanted to take all the directing what? opportunities. Um no, after, that's not after how it the works. first time I did it. Like I the year before I directed the fall show because we hadn't like I was about to say an adult. We were in college, but we were young adults, but anyways, we had a professional director. Um, okay, we had a professional a director for the, my first two years there. Over the summer after that, um, she uh, just ditched us, like straight up um, left. Sent me an email saying, you know, oh, um, I, you know, I've had an idea that you guys should do student directing, and I've always felt like you. <laughs> I've always felt like you had a good, like, directing oh mind. God. So you should do a show. Um, now, I thought this was going to be, like, a secondary show. Yeah. You know, offhand. Nope. She never showed up again. That was the last I heard from her. Hey, I think you should do all the things that I used to do. Which is? <laughs> oh, are you not kidding with me right now? Uh, I'm talking from the perspective of the uh, oh the grown up oh, that left. Me. Yeah, like hey, do everything that I used to do. <laughs> it's like wow, really? Yeah, yeah. and also I'm going to leave. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And solid miscommunication um, right there. After that, like I wound up directing a show. Um, she also told the like the administration of the building that I'd be directing a show. And wow, that's what that's what was going to happen. Was that before or after suggesting at you that you should do it? I subsequently. Sequen- All right, that that's anyway, good enough, I guess. Yeah, at the same time. Um, oh, contemporaneously. Contemporaneously, yes. It's all C words. Yeah. Curation. Yeah, <laughs> and I wound up. Um, I wound up directing a show. It was of mice and men. It went okay, uh, and. She got like super huffy of the not the yeah, original the director. director. Yeah, the undergrad director. Right. Uh the opposition director. She got super huffy about it because she wanted to direct a show. 
I'm like, well, okay, I don't want to do this shit again. Do it in the spring. Um, you could direct our musical. And she did, she did a wonderful job of directing Godspell. And then, um, then the, the, we started talking about next year and I realized, holy shit, she wants to direct every single show. Like she doesn't want to pass the baton. There are other people here who want to direct. That's unreasonable. Yeah. And to me it was too, but to her, like she didn't want to act anymore. So, like, directing was the only thing she really wanted to do. Okay, the... then direct a show. That's enough participation in the stage yeah, or organization. I... So That's a lot of... That you literally right. get to be the emperor of an entire production. Yeah. So, we had two... Sh we, we wound up doing two shows uh, that fall. And she, in my mind, took up all the rehearsal time and space for her show, um, which came first. And the second show didn't have enough rehearsal time and didn't get to be done, uh, which is a shame because that didn't one, get to be done. What do you mean? I mean, we we canceled it because oh man, it, like it came to the week before the show, and no one had their lines memorized. No one wow, it, like we ju we just didn't have it because we only had been working on it for about two weeks. That, that sucks, man. Yeah, when when we should have been able to do it. That's awful. Right. Because I know how little time it actually takes to get that done. So the fact that she wasn't even allowing that. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's but messed she didn't, up. She didn't want to dip in quality in her show. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then. I mean, ultimately, I agree with you that she has the wrong priorities, right. but. And then spring final year or spring semester, final year, final semester, right before mm -hmm. I graduate, um, she does. A production of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, which if you don't know, drink, um, it has six roles. I don't I don't know the theater production, right. so it I'll has, drink. It has six roles in it. Um, and, the, you know, that's the opposite of what I've been saying, is that we had like 15 interested people at that point. Right. And it had six roles. She cast all of her friends, um, like six, six of her very close friends. Yep. Um, I wasn't in it, actually. No. The last show I could be in. Uh, and it was okay. So... Like, the show was okay, or you not being in it was no, okay? No, the show was okay. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm still salty about that. No, I respect that. Okay, so, and then the final, um, the final part of the trash can, garbage can theory, going, bringing it back, um, is that, uh, an organization is a collection of choices, uh, looking for problems. And... To me, when when I asked why that isn't the same as solutions looking for issues, I yeah. don't remember the answer. So, to me, it, it seems like if not a redundancy, at least a more like a uh, statement colon, and then the rest of it sort of expresses the contents of that statement. I mean, there's not a colon. Maybe redundancy is part of their explanation of Garbage. organizations. Yeah, because... yeah, possible. I mean, let's think. So what's the difference between a choice and a solution, right? I mean, I, I think that it can be different enough to be interesting. So like, let's, let's go back to our politicians. If a politician is rolling in the office prepared to solve whatever problem winds up in front of her with, we're going to build this bridge. In the same way, a politician could roll in the office with the prepared result, the prepared choice to whatever is put in front of her by saying, we're going to cut government spending and cut taxes. 
I right? think, hang on, I, I'm having a flashback to the class. I think the difference is that solutions looking for issues to which they might be the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, solutions are proven solutions, like things that worked in oh, the past. Oh, okay. They're like, oh, well, you know, this, um, for the, the EPA, um, had, and... Sorry, what's that? The, the EPA. Do we have one of those? The, the former, <laughs> <laughs> soon to be former... Environmental protection. It's agency. not fair. It's just getting down funded, yeah. but we're yeah, gonna talk had shit. A way of removing I think it was um it was either Mercury or Knox. Was it tires from the No, beach? hang on, this was their this was their acid rain program. And for okay. their acid rain program. Now do you know this? No, I'm not. I do not know it, so I'm gonna drink. Yeah, take your drink. Um The Acid Rain program was their first uh sort of cap and trade system okay it was it was a resounding success um and since then epa has always been looking for like ways to use cap and trade as this solution um to whatever problem arises. because it worked once yeah because it worked um so i think that's the difference then is solutions are things that worked in the past whereas choices looking for problems are like things that are you know, our promises or things like that that are tentative. So it's the politician who says we need to start doing X. Yeah. Gets into office and just sits there waiting at their desk, just drumming their for, thumbs for an opportunity to until do a X. bill comes by where they can say, "Aha, X time." Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Cool. I'm glad we went through that because I really felt like yeah that that uh, theory was worth drawing out right so we have sort of two oppositional um theories of governance one is one has control um that is the video game theory uh is that to some degree um govern you know government has um leadership it has direction uh it's it's going to it's it has goals and it's working towards those goals and then on the other side, we have um, this... Hang on, there's a second part to the garbage can theory. I oh, forgot. okay, here we go. Um, Bonus that, content. Yeah, so... Um, hang on. Problems, solutions, participants, and choice opportunities flow in and out of a garbage can in which problems get attached to solution... Uh, and which problems get attached to solutions is largely by chance. So effectively, you throw in all of these components into the garbage can, shake it around, yeah, and then some things stick to each other. Right. Um, and you have... Because you know, much, bills, of the, yeah, you, much of the contents of your right. trash can is gum. Yeah. Well, I mean, what you're saying, that that isn't hard to spin out. What you're basically saying is you have a large amount of people, yeah. all of whom passionate, passionately believe in something. Right. And before they even have a problem to deal with or a job to do, they believe in those things. Then jobs just start fluttering around like you're standing in one of those machines where the dollars are flying. Mm -hmm. And these people with all of their uh, predispositions and their beliefs and their like, I'm sure this is going to be right solutions, just start grabbing things. And whatever they grab, they're sure as shit going to stick onto. Right? Right. Well, it's not just that, but it's like committees are formed to work on things. Right. And then – um, individual members of the committees are supposed to work on things and like they they get you know a week to work on 
their specific issue and then they're moved on to another issue. Right. And that issue that they were working on has moved on to someone else. It is true. Like no one gets to see their build to completion. No, that's true. But the other thing is like for that week that they're working on it, the same rule holds true, which is if you fundamentally believe in something, are you going to look at each thing and be like, this isn't the time for that? No, you're not. You're going to start implementing as quickly as possible. Right. And you're going to remove a bunch of stuff that the person who just had it yep. put in and it's going to keep going through that. No, it's going to be chaotic. Yeah. And you wind up with a thousand page long healthcare bill that is a mess. Well, hey, man. I mean, no one... Healthcare is very complicated. I don't think either party really liked the healthcare bill. No. that matter. But well, I think that... Well, one party may have liked it. The American people may not. May, I don't even think the Democrats largely liked their healthcare they didn't, bill. They didn't love it, but like, there are yeah. certainly people who are willing to, they, to fall on their sword for it. they a healthcare bill and that they got it Okay, passed. that's true. They are certainly like that they got a bill right. through. That they got a health care bill through. But I think if they stop to think about, like, if the Republicans propose this health care bill that they have now, um, they would absolutely hate it. Yeah. So. They would. But that's, I think, the health care bill is a fantastic representation of a result of the uh, garbage can. Here's the thing, though, because you established it as a dichotomy. Like, on one end of the spectrum, you've got the garbage can theory. On the other end of the spectrum, you have Civ Five version of Complete. governance. Yeah. But it's not about control, because in both cases, you have control. The difference is between the kind of control you have. So, like, if you were playing Civ Five and you wanted to conquer Venice— which I know is a faction in the game. Right. But instead of being given control of your faction, you're being given control of paper, like edict distribution in the Northern Quadrant. You're still going to find a way to shoehorn the conquest of Venice into your shit. In the, in the same way that like, there was, there was like this Roman, oh God, who was it? Was it, it was someone the elder. Pliny? Was it? Oh boy, this is again so embarrassing. I mean, my drinks at the ready because I'm not yeah. a Roman history nut. Well, I am a huge Roman history nut, and there there's this famous Roman uh, senator from the Republic period who would literally end each address, no matter on what subject. With and we must. Yeah, I know this one. Cartago de yeah. Lenda S. Yeah, we and, it is, opinion, yeah. and it is my opinion. Yeah, and it is my opinion that Carthage must be destroyed. Right. He would end every single speech with that, and it's like you know, cool. But it, this is my moment in life where I get to bring this out, and it's relevant because here's an example of a man who has a solution. It doesn't matter what problem he's presented right. with, because the solution is always, by the way, destroy Carthage. Mm-hmm. God, what was his name? I don't remember. I have a friend who probably knows. Yo, this is hella embarrassing because I should really know this. It's not even hard. Like, it's one of those things that as soon as you know it, you're like, oh, come on. Like, I couldn't remember that. Right. It's X the Elder. Anyway. Yeah. So, anyways, as I was saying, we have we have this spectrum, sort of, of the ultimate, like, pessimistic view. Um, pessimistic view somehow i added a pestilential view yeah a view of pestilence and death 
Right. The four horsemen view. Yeah. So we have we have this pessimistic view okay. of the garbage can theory, and we have sort of this optimistic view that there is a there is leadership, and we're moving towards um, a brave new world. Yeah. So I guess to to uh, clarify what I was saying, basically the reason there's a spectrum there right. is because on the one end you have a person with all those things, but they have full control, so it makes sense. And a lot of people with all those things, but they each have a little bit of control, and it ends up in a nightmare of right. chaos. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's the that's the that's spectrum. The, that's the spectrum. Okay. And I guess, I mean, governance is somewhere on that spectrum, or what do you think? Probably. I mean, considering you set up a spectrum where it's it's a matter of one person having a lot of control and everyone aligned with that. Well, it's not even one person. It's it could be a faction. Um, it could be. It's just many people okay. aligned. With, alignment. Yeah, aligned alignment together. versus complete disalignment. Yeah, but alignment and chaos. Sure, I think that when you set up a spectrum that's so so well tailored, and and you have it so that there's on one end, like it's a spectrum, right? Right. And you could build other ones. So you yeah. could build like in the same way as there's this spectrum. There's also a spectrum for level of competence competency yeah there's a a spectrum for um top level sovereignty versus lower level delegation of authority but one way or another that is a valid spectrum it doesn't tell the whole story but it's certainly a valid spectrum yeah i agree hey and final thoughts on this podcast boy I, i i guess i'm left thinking about where we might place ourselves. Um, and what's interesting about the spectrum you just set up is unlike many, many other spectra that you could describe governance by, it's very, um, there's very little status. Okay. It's not static. It is very highly fluid. No matter what structure you've set up or what government you're talking about or what, uh, group you're talking about it can always shift literally from one day to the next and one would suggest that in most cases you would prefer to have a highly aligned system versus a highly unaligned system i would take arguments to the contrary and respect those arguments and think about them but it's very interesting to me how in flux the spectrum you just set up is and it's one of the rare occasions where i can really say that about a government theory so i really appreciate what you just uh, delivered to me. And I thank you for it. And for final thoughts for me is I think when governments are formed, they they start more towards the alignment um, side because you need a lot of alignment to start a government. And I think it slowly slides towards the chaos side um, the longer the government exists without regular, um, I guess, revitalization or... Mm. Um, I, I don't know. I'm sure there's a better word I could think of, but we don't have time for that. All right. Thank you. That's our podcast. There it is. Thank you so much for listening. And, uh, we look forward to continue to give you more. We appreciate it. You have a good night.